0: Hi and welcome to episode 12 of the Attention Please podcast here on Talking Stuff Network. We are recording this on 16th October India time. Thanks for all the feedback on the new podcast page. Most of you seem to have loved it and some of you have passed on some very useful feedback which we are working on. But let's start off with the podcast for now and uh, welcome back Arnab, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. I've kind of, uh, again, we're, we're a little delayed uh, this week and I apologize for that. Uh, but, but we're, but we're back and, uh, this is the 12th episode. Again, every time I do an episode, I kind of feel a sense of wonderment that I'm still doing it. Uh, but it's been great. I, the, the feedback has been great so far. Um, once again, I, again, start off with every time I start off with this appeal that, you know, we have this, uh, pay, uh you know, pay. Patron, I've even forgotten the name of the page. What was it, Patreon. Patreon. Right? <laughs> Patreon. Patreon. So I have a Patreon page. Uh, the link will be in the podcast link. Um, so if you like this podcast, if you want to support it, please support it with any kind of uh, monthly contribution. Monthly contributions begin at $1. Um, and for those of you who have been contributing through the second month, thanks a lot for your contributions. So without further ado, let me jump into uh, the two, in, into our section, This Actually Happened. And uh, I'm going to talk about two things today. First of all, the West Indies tour uh, ended, fortunately. Um, again, I we've, we've, we've said this before. These tours, I think, are very strategically placed in order for us to keep on having Ravi Shastri as the coach. This is Ravi Shastri's uh, <laughs> <clears throat> job security series so that we can totally forget what happened before this series. And uh, what this reminds me, whenever we get West Indies, it reminds me of, so when I was giving my joint entrance examinations, which was many decades ago in the 90s, um, there was to be a professor in Calcutta. There was all these tutorials. So there was this uh, professor who who didn't teach. He used to take exams. So every week, there would be a physics, chemistry or a mathematics exam. And it would cycle again. And you would like go there and just give this exam. And then the next day he would, and the next week you would get your marks, and people would pay. In those days, it was a princely sum—hundred and fifty rupees per month—to uh, go there. But then they would go there and they would copy. Believe it or not, they would go there and they would copy from each other. They would copy from the book, and I never used to figure out why people would pay money to go to a place to copy. And that's really why we have the West Indies too. It's exactly for the same reason. <laughs> Feel good about yourself, even though you're effectively copying. I mean, this this tour does more harm than good because it gives us and it gives us the fans and it gives the players themselves an exaggerated sense of self in terms of how good they are. And it it kind of builds up the monster egos that we have as, you know, the Indian players so this kind of series I think is a disservice to test cricket as it is in audience dwindlings for test cricket and and it's so lopsided the two it was from the day it began till the day it ended there was not even one session in which there was any reasonable battle between the bat and the ball and this is not good for the team and more importantly this is not good for test cricket but of course this is good for Ravi Shastri so I guess everything is okay the second item that I want to talk about today was this this non-controversy, but controversy about vegetarianism in Bengali. So apparently there was, I don't know if you know Vikram, there was some advertisement yes. uh, about, you know, cooking uh, cooking non-veg food during, during this time. And oh, right. of course our serially offended people took offense, even though th- this advertisement was targeted purely towards Bengalis. So this was an advertisement made by this extremely talented lady who's who's done this kind of videos before, this very funny, you know, singing recipes. Uh so she's she's extremely talented, she's insanely funny. And so so they got her very good, very good idea, but then they dropped the ball by then apologizing and taking the advertisement back because apparently it was it was hurting the sentiments of those who are vegetarians around around this time. So let's get this straight, okay. For us, you know, if you are, if you believe in Hinduism as a big umbrella, then you have to reconcile yourself to the fact that there is a significant portion of Hindus, mainly those who live in the eastern region of India, for whom uh, we only eat vegetarianism when somebody close to us dies. Okay, just, just put your mind around that. Get your mind around that. So. When our parents die, or when we have a shraddho that's when uh, we don't eat uh, vegetarian. That's where that's mourning for us. Okay, we not even eat, fish, not not even fish. So there is uh, when your parents die, there is a period of time in which you eat vegetarian, and that's supposed to be the worst kind of mourning possible. And then uh, and you have the shrad, the shraddho, and after that you have what's known as niumbongo. Niumbongo means that's the day people eat non-veg. That's eating non-veg basically says that I have now moved beyond the death. Technically, it means that. So you can see the the importance of non-vegetarianism to the Bengali, where the association between mourning and vegetarianism and moving past mourning and non-vegetarianism is so direct. And again, I don't expect people to understand this. But if you want if you want and, and for those who are politically inclined, if you want the BJP to win seats in, in Bengal, please consider the fact that the fact that the BJP is seen as, as Hinduism with vegetarianism is a big deal for the Bengal. And when, and when this kind of messaging comes across and again again. I, there's always this tendency to overanalyze and to, but, and, and I'm perhaps doing some of it myself. But it's very important to understand that uh, the the plural Hindu ethos and Hinduism as it has existed allows for, uh, you know, non vegetarianism as part of it. And for Bengalis, there is nothing like vegetarianism. It's only when somebody dies, and this is this period of time is the happiest time of the year for us. So absolutely not. None of us are vegetarian around this time. As a matter of fact, we perhaps eat more meat at this time of the year (laughs) than any other time of the year. So the meat consumption peaks around this time. So if you want to eat biryani in Calcutta, you're going to find smaller pieces. Uh, And this is perhaps the worst time to eat biryani in Calcutta because so many people are eating it.
0: Tell me something, Arnab. Uh, Does the term non-vegetarian, does it exist outside India?
1: I think it does. I think people are using the term, veg- uh, you, you know, vegan and versus... No,
0: vegan and vegetarianism is fine, but the term non-vegetarian itself, I mean, that's normal. It's like saying I'm a non, you know, uh, at the risk yeah. of sounding very crass, I, I, I'm i a non-cancer person.
1: <laughs> so, it's... It, it, so, you, you're, you're, you're right, you know, this is the default. So So, it's like why there's a term called murderer and why there's a term, there's no term called non-murderer because you're... Exactly. You're not I wish I'd come
0: up with a better term. I'm sure I'm going to get blasted for what
1: I came up with. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, again, vegetarianism, I, I don't know if there there are other countries. I, I, I have no idea. But at least in the US, there is no term for non-vegetarian. There is, You're right. There's vegetarianism and there is nothing, (laughs) the absence (laughs) of any, absence of any label. So, all right. So moving on to the, the main topic for today, uh, there's been, there's been tumult going on, uh, over several, uh, accusations, uh, sexual harassment accusations around many prominent people, uh, in the last, uh, last two weeks. And, uh, in this episode, I really want to take a step back and focus and kind of have a laser focus on something which is which is related to what's going on, but it kind of subsumes it. And that's workplace harassment, of which sexual harassment is a big part of it, but it goes beyond that. Well, let's try to understand what, what I actually mean and where I'm going with this. So today uh, Hillary Clinton and I've I've gotten into a lot of fights with people who I thought I would never get into fights with when Hillary Clinton was running as president when I when I said despite having strong democrat sympathies that Hillary Clinton is the absolutely worst candidate that the democrats could put up and this this is the only candidate who Donald Trump can beat and I was proven right and again it was not the this was not an original statement that I made this was a statement made by quite a few people but again, the Democrat Party as a as unit thought that Hillary Clinton, it's time for Hillary Clinton. And, and the reason was, in, you know, she's a woman and, you know, she, she was. But Hillary Clinton, even though she's a woman, she's never, you know, the, the, my, my main problem with Hillary Clinton is that there's nothing really that she believes in. Uh, this everything about her is so fake. I mean, she's a very good administrator. It doesn't necessarily mean that's why I always compare her to sharath Power. So sharath Power is also a very good administrator. But that's really where he, you know, he's not an inspirational figure. That's why he's never become the prime minister. And that's the problem with Hillary Clinton too. So today Hillary Clinton, you know, when he, she was asked about Bill Clinton's, uh, in, you know, affair with uh, Monica Lewinsky, she says she does not classify that as uh, sexual abuse or workplace harassment because both were adults. Even though the interviewer explicitly said, what about the huge power differential between them? And she just brushed it off by saying they were adults. Now, I, I'm sure Hillary Clinton isn't that tone deaf that or that stupid not to understand what she just said. In a, in a way, she's, again, this is why Hillary Clinton was such a flawed candidate that ultimately she did not represent, she represented the status quo. She represented perhaps the worst part of the democratic status quo. And Trump being the anti-status quoist had absolutely no problem in brushing her aside. If they had fielded somebody like Bernie, who was more anti-status quo, then it would have been a much closer fight and I'm pretty sure Trump would have lost it. But this is not really about the American election. But I wanted to say that even somebody like Hillary Clinton, she intentionally, because why did she say that? She knows that there are many people who are going to buy what she said. Many people believe that the workplace is no different than someplace else. That the relationship between Hill, that Bill and Monica Lewinsky was a consensual one between adults and so it was kosher. And if anything, it was you know it was him breaking his marital vows. That was the worst thing. But no, that was not true. It never is, because the workplace has its own rules. It has a power differential. It has a, a power differential. it has an organization. And it's very important to understand that it should have its own set of norms for social behavior. And what Bill did, and I'm coming to what many very powerful editors and movie makers have been accused of doing is essentially breaking uh, that norm that is expected in a workplace. I had a friend, Who told me once, a long time ago, and she was in HR, by the way, that uh, this was on a weekend. And she said that, oh, I can't come because my boss has asked me to help him out at his son's thread ceremony. I said, what? What? And she said, Yeah, I have to go. I mean, I don't have to go, but he'll get upset if I don't go, everybody else is going. He'll say, Oh okay, you know, on my big days, you don't come and help me out, you don't support me. I was like, (laughs) What? This 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 sense of entitlement that people in power in 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 power, when I say I place power in the workplace, have over people's time, over people's minds, and in the case of sexual harassment over their bodies this comes from this comes from a very ingrained organizational culture and again i'm not saying every time it's manifested as sexual harassment sometimes it's manifested as as harassment as i just now said this is harassment expecting someone to take their sundays off to come and help you out is harassment because it, it looks like it's consensual but it's not because my friend is feeling a pressure there. This pressure is beyond what her role is, this is beyond what she's being paid to do. She's feeling, I don't know what kind of pressure. There's definitely some kind of emotional uh, hand twisting that's going on. There's def- there might definitely be a sense of, well, if I'm the only person who doesn't go, and all, like, I have a group of 10 and nine people go to help him out, and I don't go. How will that affle- affect my appraisal? And that's a valid that's a valid thing to have. And you know the boss can say, of course it won't affect, but of course it will. So this and I, and I've seen this time and time again, that there is this almost this for the word, want of a better word, a kind of feudal power trip that those in power have over those that are their subordinates. Which makes them feel that, as part of, of them being a leader, that 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 a concomitant of being a leader is of being a king in the worst sense of the term. Even if you look at the accusations that have been, that have been made against M J Akbar, you know, leaving aside the the leaving aside the other sexual aspects of it, and and I've come to the more pseudo sexual, but it's not just sexual this is this is that feudal power trip he's coming he's interviewing women in his in his bedroom in his in his own chambers like the king is sitting in his throne room and he's sitting how he's sitting in his bathrobe he's lying on his bed come to my chambers and people have said multiple people he will lie down and you will have to stand and then he'll ask you to fix his drinks okay so everything is you are my servant and i own you okay so there is almost even if you take the sexual part of it out there's this sense of making you feel small and this is not just with women this happens to men also in the case of women there's just so many much many more things that an entitled man can do but this and there was you know Jaspal Bhatti I don't know if you re- remember Jaspal Bhatti ah. once made this spoof on a PhD scholar's life if you remember yes. Yes, and that the entire thing was about the PhD advisor using this PhD scholar as his personal servant. Yes, and the guy knew that you know the better servant he was, the more quickly he was going to graduate. And this this was, I mean, Jaspal Vartey was ahead of his time in in terms of you know his his laser sharp <laughs> focus on issues and the way he brought them out. You know, years ago, and of course he was unfortunately he was never really appreciated in this country what a visionary comic he was you know he had to do like small roles in 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 hindi movies which were really really demeaning to somebody of his talent and it feels feel really bad for him but you know if you if you you look at he he was he was really getting to it he was he was really being a humorist and his humorist wasn't like making saying you know one one BC, one MC, and you know Madras, versus North India. No, 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 no. He was, he was actually using humor as a way of shining light on the dark, on the darkness that is society. Absolutely. In a very eighties way, of course. But he was doing it, and and he showed he showed this exactly this thing that there is, and I think he also showed sexual harassment, if I'm not wrong, in that. I remember PhD one. I think the PhD one, there was the, if I'm absolutely, I've seen that years ago, but I think there was the, the some flirtation was going on with the student, with the female student, something. There was something uh-huh, which was, could
0: be. yeah,
1: yeah and So he, he, he went there. So he showed, and again, he showed it in the correct context that this man, this useless guy is using the power that he has, this temporary power that he has to basically get his work done by from the student and this is not just an isolated incident i've heard this from many phd scholars in india that you know they have to do they have to go and do you know shop for their uh you know shop for their advisor you know they're expected to bring gifts for the advisor so this and again it's not again it's not bribery uh it's not that the guy can't do it it's the fact it's that power rush he's, he gets from a seeing somebody being debased. And and you see that, you see you, you see that, you you know, the, the kind of thing that, you know, Dua was accused of, you know, this lady comes and, you know, says, you know, how much salary do you expect? And you know, he, he says, or something. And again, this is not a professional interaction. I mean, if, if some, if you feel that somebody is, you know, somebody is quoting a salary that you can't afford, you just say that. There's no question of, uh, there's no question if somebody's or or not. You like it, you don't like it, that's fine. But again, the problem is that people want, and, and they, they say that, you know, we want to work like a family. And no, your workplace is not your family. Uh, it's sometimes you can't do anything about the power dynamics inside a family. You're just born with it, literally born with it. But in the office, you can't you can't work like a family and it doesn't require you to work like a family okay so there is it's very important to give every person their own personal space and that's where human resources really comes into place it is an independent organization which is supposed to monitor these kinds of things to make sure that there is no absolute power inside the organization that there's always another pillar uh, some kind of oversight so that the power or the responsibility that those in power have, they don't spill over outside the role into the personal space of the person. And of course, one part of it is sexual choice. But another part of it is the choice over their time. In in, in India, I've heard you know many of my friends say that they can't go home before their boss does. Oh, uh,
0: th- this is my life. I mean, I know this for a fact.
1: Th- there is, this is absolutely insane okay there's this kind of expectation that if i am working why can't you work no of course no you have a different role i have a different role at the end of the day you get paid more than i do honestly but even leaving that ultimately the way a person should be evaluated is is he doing their job is he de- delivering on time is are the work products of good quality that's what they should be judged on not you know this but this whole thing of you can't leave before your boss is again is is a feudal power trip it comes from the fact that you can't leave before the king how dare you turn your back to the king a boss is not a king and a boss is not a dad a boss is not a granddad a boss is not uh Shahrukh Khan in Mohabbate who's there (laughs) to teach you about life no your boss just is somebody who's going to assign you work, work according to your role, and he's going to intake your work. And he's going to move it up the value chain. That's his job. And for those of you saying, well, what are you saying, not Then it's no longer fun to come to work. You want to come to work. You want to have fun. We want, uh, no. You I mean-
0: Get a post-bottle you know. table.
1: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> remember, in, in this world, if you want to have fun, you pay for it. In a place where you're being paid, you don't get to have fun. Now, if you have fun on the side, that's fine. I mean, if you enjoy your work, that's okay. That's great. But your job, they, 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 there's no obligation to make your know, your job fun by having this kind of dynamics. Okay, this kind of so for me, and again this this whole thing shows the need for us to radically change our corporate culture, the way we think of how we behave with people because power differential will always be there in a company. Now, I remember the first time I came to the US in 1999, uh, I was going to be a teaching assistant. So they had a one week of orientation and there was one full day of you know, for sexual harassment. And one of the things which I remember the person who was taking that course taught us was, and it was a very, very important intuition, which I think isn't repeated enough. She said, "Look, you have to understand this thing that um, there is. I, I get this a lot that A and B are in a relationship and that is totally consensual. A is saying it's consensual, B is saying it's consensual. So what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it is from the res- from the point of pers- from the perspective of person C. So person C would feel." especially if a and b have a boss employee relationship that that person is now expected or is being held up to a standard that that person cannot reach because obviously it's not going to have a relationship so there is basically sexual harassment by proxy the fact that you are not doing it that creates an unreasonable expectation and you can go and say well it doesn't affect my assessment of that person but we all know that's not true so that's why it is absolutely absolutely imperative that wherever there is a power dynamic, and there's a, there's a huge power dynamic in a, in a, in academia, of course, much more than there is in a corporate environment, because a PhD advisor is really essentially God for five years. And but th- th- again, the notion of power differential that's that's there always at the workplace makes, in many ways the notion of explicit consent very very vague i mean even if i say yes even if i say yes am i really saying yes or am i just saying yes because i believe that if i don't say yes i'll be victimized or if i don't say yes and i've seen many of the many of the stories that we are seeing is women going into these toxic you know what's called the bro culture where you have like people behaving like you know entitled pricks essentially and that's the corporate culture and in that kind of culture where and exactly this is why relationships and these kinds of intrusions into personal space are so dangerous in a work environment because they create they create this atmosphere where people who come into this organization feel that that is expected of them that that consent the moment you sign the dotted line you basically lost the ability to make that decision for yourself either you stay in the company or you or you leave And if you stay in the company, you have to play by those rules. And if you want to stay in the company and don't play by those rules, then you risk, you know, not being promoted, being whispered behind your back, you know, say not a team player, people making fun of you. So these things, and I I say this is true in terms of in a sexual context. It's also also true in a non-sexual context also.
0: Absolutely. I just want to give a small example Uh of the non-sexual context uh, uh, example of that. One of my friends who was in a small IT company, check it out, it's so bizarre, he had a uh, female boss who made it the annual tradition that on Rakhi, she would tie Rakhi to her entire team. This guy was absolutely, I mean, not that he had any intent of, you know, any romantic inclination, but he was very uncomfortable with it. So he did not go during Rakhi and apparently that became a big talking point because for two years in a row, he avoided Rakhi. Then she had a one-on-one with him asking, why are you avoiding? Is there some problem? That's, that's pretty much what you're talking about. <laughs> I found it very bizarre.
1: It, it, and again, th- there's another personal story that I ha- had. There was one point of time I seriously thought about working in India. remember I I, I was here and my boss yes. came. And, and, and he said, you're non-vegetarian? He saw me eating beef, actually. So we went out to lunch and, of course, I ordered steak. Because the company was paying for it, of course. But, you know, he's, he, he said, if you eat know, you steak, you're going to have a really tough time fitting into Indi- in India. And I felt he was way out of line talking about what I eat. He was way out. I mean, I felt uncomfortable. Wow. What the F, man? <laughs> you have no right to say that. And again... Uh, this is really where it starts from he has no right to talk about it. And, 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 and in india you get this cons- you get for the want of a bit of this concern porn from people and you there's little you can do with relatives you know you come there you say, or oh, oh, no, you've become so fat what the f- I, I didn't ask you did i and if i l- lay dying on the ground you will not look at me but you're concerned about my weight that's what you're concerned about because it makes you feel good that's why you can point to me and say look the guy is fat so, you know, this kind of things happens in workplaces all the time. People make comments about clothes. They make comments about, you know, their weight, these things. And again, this is really the gateway, the gateway drug to what we have currently, where you do not understand your own limits, the fact that you have a line around yourself, which you should not prevent people from breaching, but you also have a line which goes the other way. And this is especially important when there is a reporting structure, when there is a boss and when there is a subordinate. Now, even if it's colleagues, even if it's colleagues, given you know the dynamic nature of today's workplace, your colleague could be your boss tomorrow. You could be your colleague's boss tomorrow. You could go to another place where you would have a different kind of relationship or a different reporting structure. So it's the best thing is for me, in in today's environment, is to stay within your box, to protect your box, and to know. And, and all of us know in this day and age. So if people say, "Well, come on, I didn't know," of course you knew. So don't make personal comments. Don't make personal comments about people's clothes, about people's you know life choices, and you know don't discuss stuff. You know there are a lot of con. There are a lot of things you can talk about which are fairly anodyne. The moment your conversations in the workplace starts to personal life, okay, you're going down a path. Now it could be, again, it could be start out as consensual, but it's very difficult with everything that the other things that go on at work. And a work is in general a stressful place. Let's not forget that. Unlike a family, a work is in general a stressful place. Everybody who comes to work knows that, At the end of the year, some of us are going to be appraised badly. Some of most of us won't make the next state because it's a pyramid. And given that this this kind of friction that cannot be prevented from the very nature of workplace, why would you want to introduce even more randomness into this? Why would you even want to go there? That for me is more important. I mean, it's your job. You have a role. It's there in your work contract. Go ahead, do it, and come home. I, I shouldn't say that. I mean, whether, whether when I was in Jadavpur University, there were professors I was scared of. There were, there were professors who made there who, who, who made sure that we were scared of them. They would intimidate us. They, would, they wouldn't treat us like slaves, but they would intimidate us. They felt that 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 helped them, that possibly sub, you know that possibly help them feel good about themselves. And when, when I read about the accusations made against uh, some of these uh, very powerful men in media and in, in movies, I see a persistent pattern. It's, it's not just a question of, uh, you know, sex or it, it's a question of power. It's a question of making that other person feel small, feel the worst that person can feel. It's 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 cruelty. And that's harassment. There's there's no two place. There's no two words about it. It's harassment, and that is something which we need to work towards. You know, removing this power equation. And again, human beings will be human beings. They will try to get power. They will try to uh, humiliate people to feel good. I don't think we're ever going to get rid of that fundamental human urge. However. in in, in a workplace that's the reason why you have strong HR that's why you have strong policies that's why you have multiple ways in which things can be reported that's why you have that you have that oversight so that yes there is a boss and there are subordinates but even the boss has another boss who has another boss who has another boss and there's another organization which cross cuts it whose responsibility is ideally to oversee that there is no abuse of power. I hope that we will move. I don't think it will be a very sudden change. It will be a gradual change. It will take years. But I hope we, we come to a place where a job is a job. It's, it's, it's not a family. It's, 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 not, it's not a family. It's not a Tinder date. It's a job. You have a role. You go there. You work. And you come home. It doesn't matter when your boss comes home. It doesn't matter if your boss wants you to go and you know basically work as a free servant in his house you, you're not obligated to do that and you can bring it up to hr and not be discriminated against and you have the option if if there is a culture in the in your team that you feel you don't fit in you have the right without sanctions to be able to bring it up to people in the company i i hope that that we work towards this because. replacing people you'll replace one oppressor with another you need to change the system and for me that's that's very important moving forward i i I hope that that we as a society uh we move towards you know changing the, the the very system that we have in our workplaces all right so the pick of the week uh I wanted to dis, uh, spend a little time. So my pick of the week is this absolutely amazing, um, absolutely amazing uh, TV series uh, on Netflix. And I, I use the word absolutely amazing because I have kind of run out of superlatives. So it's called Haunting of Hill House. It is it is in the horror genre, but for for those of you who even don't like like horror, I would recommend that you see Haunting of Hill House. So let me s- spend a little time on. It. So Haunting of Hill House is, is a novel written by uh, Shirley Jackson. It's it's a novella. It's not a big novel. Uh, it's considered by many to be the greatest haunted house book ever written. Um, and I've read it. It's, it's an acquired taste. Let me just say that. So many people don't like Haunting of Hill House because there is really no haunting. <laughs> there is really not much going on in terms of monsters or ghosts i mean there's always like things happening in the background but there is you never really know and and the great thing i mean why i love haunting of hill house is because this book is inherently ambiguous i remember when i wrote mine there was a lot of criticism and why did why why didn't you explain this what happened here what happened there in a good horror story one of the things in you know, a very difficult to make a story scary on a piece of paper where you don't have pauses or you don't have music where you don't have boo scares the only thing you can do is create a sense of unease and what creates unease is often not knowing and there's a difference between a plot hole which is an unintentional thing that the, uh, the the author or the script writer didn't quite realize when he was doing it that's a plot hole and then there is intentionally there is a vagueness that's often left that's not a plot hole. That's, that's by design. That's to give you that eerie, creepy feeling. And Haunting of Hill House has a lot of that. So what the maker, so, so, so they've made a 10-part series. It's on Netflix where they have done something amazing. They have totally changed the story. There's not even one element in that 10-part series which has got anything to do with the original Haunting of Hill House. But they have kept the essential spirit of the book perfectly. So, for those of you who have read the book, even for those of you for those of you who haven't read the book, I would say please read the book first of all. That's another pick. Um, it has arguably the greatest opening paragraph. I mean, Stephen King called it the greatest opening paragraph he's read. I would also agree. I'm not that well read, but it's the, the opening paragraph, and even the TV series starts with the author reading. Uh, I mean, the, the the one of the narrators actually reading that paragraph. That paragraph is just. It's almost like a poem that that paragraph. Uh, even if you don't read the book, at least read that paragraph. Um, so again, haunting of Hill House. The the main the main uh, the thesis of the the book was that ghosts are essentially they're not apparitions or they're not spirits of dead people. They're really reflections of ourselves, our own fears, uh, the lives that we have not lived, regret, fear. That's what ghosts are. And that, and in 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 the book *Haunting of Hill House*, it's really the house which is alive, which which understands and it calls kind of sad people to it. It it provides some kind of. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but it's a very interesting way of looking at what ghosts are. And this TV series it, it, it totally solidly gets that, but. If if the problem with Haunting of Hill House, the book is that there's not enough scares, don't worry. This 10 episode uh, Netflix series has plenty of scares. Right? And, and the scares are not just in terms of apparitions. And you'll have a lot of those apparitions and very hideous looking creatures. I mean, for those of you who like creatures, they're there. But for me, that's not, I mean, I, I'm i not scared by that. But it really, really plugs in to some of the very basic base fears that we have especially if you're a parent be very careful i mean watch it but also be very careful because it really goes there uh it actually again if i wasn't a parent maybe i wouldn't have liked haunting of Filaus that much but since i'm a parent and it just happened to hit the exact biggest fear that i have it just happened to hit it perfectly um, and that's why perhaps I liked it so much. It's beautiful. It's beautifully shot. There's not one dull moment and the ending is just beyond brilliant in terms of this is how horror should be. I cannot recommend it enough. I, I would say not only is it possibly the greatest horror anything that I've ever seen and I've seen a few. It could very well be one of the best TV series I've seen. I, I can't think, I mean, it's, it's Breaking Bad level. I mean, even the best that I've seen, I would put it there. Wow. It, it's that good. It is just so perfectly done. It is it is the acme of of, of 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 horror, of, of where the horror genre can go. I mean, I just amazing. And if you look at the reviews, if you look at the reviews that have come out, I, mean, I haven't seen one bad review. I think everyone is saying that this is a classic. So sometimes I feel that something's great, and then I see, and you know, it's it's twenty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. But no, this is I'm not the only person who's saying this. Maybe I'm saying it. Maybe there are a lot of people who don't like it as much as I liked it. But I mean, I loved Fawda. j saw recently, but. We're not even talking about the same. <laughs> I thought right. that was great. I enjoyed it a lot, but this is this is art. this is this is art and this will stay with you for a long time. I mean I've seen it. it's 24 hours I finished 24 hours ago, I finished it. It's still with me. I can still feel it haunts me some of the some of the thoughts, some of the dilemmas that the characters there fe- the characters their face and I, and I wish I could tell you more. I wish I could deconstruct this more, but I don't want to spoil it for you let me ask you this Uh, would you suggest that uh, you know
0: you you binge watch this back to back or let each episode sink in
1: binge watch because there because the one thing about this okay so one thing i should tell you this is absolutely must for binge watch because this um in this 10 part series it's not linear so there are two timelines which are mixed together and even within the timeline they do things sometimes they do things the other way around okay so it's a very, very non-linear thing. And sometimes the same scene is shown from multiple perspectives. So if you if you haven't binge watched it, if you're seeing episode two and then seeing episode eight uh, one month later, you will not realize that what you've seen this before, and now you're seeing it in a totally different way. And so so be very careful. So the more, the more you binge, the more you like this. <laughs> yeah. See it it within 48 hours, I would say.
0: Okay, that's a weekend watch from you. My pick is uh, totally on the other end of the spectrum, as usual. Uh, So, my pick is a three-part documentary, again on Netflix this time. And it's called India's Frontier Railways. Have you watched this, Arnab, by any chance? No, I I haven't. I mean, you can't go wrong with, let's say, cricket or rains or trains in India, right? So, it's a three-part series on uh, the... There are these three trains, right, in India, which uh, which run cross-country. So, the, I think uh, the first one is about uh, Maitri Express, which runs from uh, from uh, uh, Kolkata to uh, to Dhaka. Second one was about mm-hmm. Samjhata, the India-Pakistan train. And the last one, which is my favorite, is uh, it captures this the last journey of the train between India and Nepal. So, uh, the train was supposed to be discontinued because of some upgrades to the track. So, each one of this is about one hour long and it tells the story of the train and somehow there's some magic about especially Indian railways with its huge mess and with the people and all whatnot. All three episodes, I really loved it, especially the last one, like I said, about uh, the India-Nepal train. So, this one is called India's Frontier Railways. Do catch it. Three parts full of magic. Is that a wrap for this episode? Oh, no. We have our... uh, Twitter demands to know poll for this week. We've got a question, something coming up, coming from our main story about the about our test series. So our Twitter demands to know poll is which is the better pick me up team for Team India: West Indies, Sri Lanka, or Pakistan? So, Arna, what what are you voting? In India. In India, yeah. In India for India. By <laughs> <laughs> who do you vote for? West Indies, Sri Lanka, or Pakistan?
1: Of course, for me, the answer is West Indies. I mean, there's nothing there is nothing more pathetic than the West Indies team nowadays. Anybody who plays remotely well will now... <laughs> See, the deal with West Indies, they're always a losing proposition. So if anybody plays a little bit good, they'll they'll not pick up a West Indies contract and then they'll become an, basically a franchise cricket player all over all around the world i'm basically pretty sure that all these shy hope and all the new players we are seeing here they're all angling for IPL contracts <laughs> remember in the first test they suddenly started hitting at one point of time
0: <laughs> right right yes
1: like manic hitting why do you think they were hitting like that they were auditioning for IPL i'm pretty sure Let me show. look we have other i mean of course this this test is a joke and <laughs> so so let me show you the other shots that i can play <laughs>
0: Was the Sachin retirement the last time they came around, or was there a series after that when they visited?
1: I'm pretty sure these things are like these things are like you know, having drinks, right? You forget. You know, I started with this report. <laughs> in the middle, I might have, <laughs> but yeah, I, perhaps you're right. Perhaps the last time we called them was for Sachin to you know have a great series. So again, I I, I, I sympathize with the West Indies board. They don't have a lot of money, and so this is you know, I, Coming to India even with even with the empty stadiums, I'm pretty sure they make quite a bit of money from the advertisement, you know, their revenue shares. So for West Indies for the West Indies board, these are you know the kisses of life. And this is why, of course, also why Pakistan hates us so much, because they don't get this cash infusion nowadays of in tour with India, which is why they want to play with India so much. Why else? Because it makes a lot of money and they're hurting for money. And that's why Sri Lanka wants to come to play. Everybody wants to come to play <laughs> and he, you're right. I mean, this is a good sign. I would have put Bangladesh, but Bangladesh is definitely not a good BPM no, no. team because we, I'm always scared we'll lose to them. <laughs> and we've come pretty close several times of losing to we Bangladesh.
0: Have, we have,
1: we have. They're, they're, they're a fairly good team. I think Bangladesh and Afghanistan are, are fairly good, are pretty good teams. It's, there's no doubt that so Sri Lanka is the worst team now in the subcontinent. It's, it's, it's beyond doubt. Uh, so... Afghanistan, their batting needs some work, but their bowling, I think, is pretty world-class at this point.
0: All right. I think that's a wrap. You want to again read out your or any words of wisdom before we Uh, part? No.
1: So again, uh, follow follow me at at, at GreatBong and please send in your comments, you know, the the, the proverbial bouquets and more bouquets, I guess. Uh, (laughs) uh, So again, the blog is GreatBong.net. I'm on Twitter at at, at GreatBong. And thank you for listening.
0: And I'm at, uh, at the Vikram Mohan and network is at, at TalkingStuffNet. Of course, the podcast landing page is TalkingStuff.net slash app. That's Attention Please Podcast slash app. So you can go there to download the podcast directly to your phones or to PCs or whatever. You can listen to it online. You can also, there's a link to uh, Arnav's Patreon page. And there's also a link where you can easily subscribe, download uh, podcast players and subscribe. I realize it's not working too well for some uh, people with iPhones. So we are working on that and we are uh, trying to fix it ASAP. So till then, thank you for listening and we'll see you very soon.